So the first reading is Luke uh, 24, verses 50 to 53. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. That's yep, the first one. Uh, next reading is from Acts 1, verses 6 to 11. I'm not sure on pages. Guys. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Uh, The third reading is from Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16. Therefore, Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And the last reading is from Hebrews 7, verses 23 to Hebrews 8, verse 2. Now, there have been many of these priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. Now the main point of what we are saying is this. We do, not have, we do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Thanks, Mark. Morning, all. My name's Henry. 
Great to see you here on this cold and dreary winter morning. It's starting to warm up a little bit, but... Well, happy Ascension Sunday. Yes. Christ is reigning. He is reigning indeed. Hallelujah. I don't, that's, yeah. I wasn't sure if that would work. We have on Easter Sunday, Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. But Ascension, I don't know, it's not the official thing, but I just thought I'd say it. Well, I'm, I'm really excited about the Ascension. Um, but what's with the Ascension? What's with the Ascension? Firstly, it's, it's weird, right? Did you notice that? We, we heard two accounts of the Ascension there, and it's a man being taken up and disappearing into the clouds. That's bizarre. That's bizarre. But it's vitally important. Uh, we see Luke, uh, who wrote both of those accounts uh, of the Ascension, he writes it at the end of his Gospel, and he writes it again at the beginning of the book of Acts. He mentions it twice, so it's obviously very significant and something for us to pay attention to. Uh, the ascension is the key that turns the lock on all of Christ's work. Uh, the Puritan theologian John Owen says this, this assumption of our Lord Jesus Christ into glory or his glorious reception into heaven with his state and condition therein is a principal article of the faith of the church, the great foundation of its hope and the consolation in this world. But despite how important it is, the ascension is underemphasized. It's not something we talk much about. It's a neglected doctrine in our theology. Um, many of our problems and struggles, I think, actually come from a failure to grasp the ascension. Uh, John Owen goes on to say, the darkness of our faith in the ascension is the cause of all of our disconsolations and most of our weaknesses in obedience. That's a very strong statement. But as we grasp the ascension, it can change our lives. It can change our lives. When we grasp the reality and power of the ascension, it transforms our present experience of faith in God and enlarges our hope for the future. Uh, there are different angles from which we can approach the ascension. Uh, but today we're thinking about how through his ascension, Jesus is our high priest who intercedes for us. So we're going to unpack that uh, and what that means, what that means for us uh, from those two passages in Hebrews. So uh, if you keep them open in your Bibles, that'd be great. Uh, so two points for us. Uh, firstly, the ascension tells us what Jesus is doing right now. And secondly, the ascension tells us what we can be doing right now. The Ascension tells us what Jesus is doing right now, and the Ascension tells us what we can be doing right now. Uh, but let's get uh, pray as we get started. Uh, Father, we come to you on this uh, cold morning, and we pray that you would warm our hearts with uh, the glory and wonder of the Ascension of Jesus. Uh, please open our minds to understand, um, move in our hearts, uh, that we might see him more clearly and that you would be transforming our lives through him. And we pray in his name. Amen. So firstly, the, the ascension tells us what Jesus is doing right now. Now, this is not something we often think of, uh, is it? What is Jesus? I think we're aware of his past work, his life, his death, his resurrection. Uh, but that was a long time ago. And now he seems distant. He's left earth. And if we're honest, we're not quite sure what he's really doing. But the reality of the ascension makes it clear. Jesus is interceding for us. 
He's interceding for us. Uh, We see there in uh, verse 25 of chapter 7, he's left earth and he's entered heaven for this purpose. What does intercession mean? Uh, It's when a, a third party intervenes between two other parties and acts on behalf of one party to the other. Uh, So the prime example of this is a lawyer uh, representing a person on trial before a judge. Uh, For us, Jesus is interceding between God the Father and us as believers. But why do we need someone to intercede for us? Well, it's because sinful people cannot exist in the presence of the perfect and holy God. We need a representative, someone to go into God's presence on our behalf. We can't go ourselves or we'd die because of our sin. And so we also need a sacrifice to be made because death is the just penalty for our sin. So the only means for people to come before God is if something dies in their place so that judgment is served. So back in the Old Testament, God appointed priests uh, to represent the people. Uh, They'd make animal sacrifices to atone for sin. And then they'd come into God's presence in in the tabernacle or the temple uh, on behalf of the people, acting as that third party to intercede for them. Uh, But this system was only temporary. Uh, It was only a replication that was pointing to something greater. We need a priest but we need a better one. Heaven and earth have been separated because of our sin. We cannot enter heaven. We need someone to ascend into God's presence in heaven for us because we can't ascend ourselves. And Jesus is the ultimate high priest that the Old Testament was pointing to who has ascended into heaven on our behalf to represent us before God. Uh, Jesus is the ultimate high priest for three reasons. So firstly, he's an eternal priest. So look at chapter 7, verse 23. Uh, Read along with me. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. So the human priests that God had set up kept dying. No good. That doesn't work. Uh, But here's the game changer. If we keep reading in verse 24, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. So his priestly work is continual and ongoing, which we need because our sin is continual and ongoing. Secondly, he is the perfect priest. Look at verse 26 in chapter 7. Such a high priest truly meets our need one who who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Jesus is without sin. He has the right to enter heaven and stand in God's presence as the perfect human to represent us. And third, he offers the ultimate sacrifice. See, the earthly priests could only offer animal sacrifices, which were temporary. 
We need someone who can offer a sacrifice that will completely and finally atone for our sin. Going on in verse 26, he sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Himself. Jesus offered himself as the sacrifice. And he's the all-sufficient sacrifice for our sins. Okay, but wasn't that all done in the past? You know, wasn't that when Jesus, you know, he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross, rose to a new life. That's kind of all done, you know. On the cross he said it's finished, right? He's done everything he needs to save us. So why does he have to keep interceding? Uh, Why do you have to send? Does that mean there's something incomplete in his atoning work? Uh, Well, this is an important question because the answer shapes how we view uh, Jesus. Uh, Dane Ortland, in his book, uh, Gentle and Lowly, uh, which is sort of uh, shaping this series, this preaching series that we go through, uh, he answers the question like this. We have this on the slide. Justification is what Christ did in the past. Intercession is what Christ is doing in the present. Intercession applies what the atonement accomplished. Christ's present heavenly intercession on our behalf is a reflection in heaven of the fullness and victory and completeness of his earthly work, not a reflection of anything lacking in his earthly work. The atonement accomplished our salvation Intercession is the moment-by-moment application of that atoning work. In the past, Jesus did what he now talks about. In the present, Jesus talks about what he then did. So it's like an artist who's painted a painting. You know, they've spent countless hours on this piece of work. They've poured their heart and soul into creating this beautiful painting. And then when it's finished, this masterpiece hangs in the art gallery on display for everyone to view and enjoy. Jesus' saving work has been completed and it now hangs on display before God in heaven as a constant reminder and proof of our justification. What does this mean? Well, if we read verse 25 of chapter 7, uh, we see that because Jesus always lives to intercede for us, he is able to save completely. Uh, The Greek word here is pantelis, meaning comprehensive, exhaustive, wholeness. It can also be translated as to the uttermost. Dane Ortland writes, we are to the uttermost sinners. We need a to-the-uttermost saviour. Now, we know Jesus saves us, but I think we often can act as though Hebrews 7 verse 25 says, Jesus is able to save for the most part. For the most part. Um, And Dane Ortland expands on this. He says, we all tend to have some small pocket of our life where we have difficulty believing the forgiveness of God reaches. We say we are totally forgiven, pretty much anyway. But there's that one deep, dark part of our lives, even our present lives, that seems so intractable, so ugly, so beyond recovery. To the uttermost, or completely, in Hebrews 7.25 means... God's forgiving, 
redeeming, restoring touch reaches down into the darkest crevices of our souls, those places where we are most ashamed, most defeated. More than this, those crevices of sin are themselves the places where Christ loves us the most. His heart willingly goes there. His heart is most strongly drawn there. He knows us to the uttermost and he saves us to the uttermost because his heart is drawn out to us to the uttermost. We cannot sin our way out of his tender care. Isn't that beautiful? We cannot sin our way out of his tender care. This is true even when we fall into the same sin for the hundredth time. When you lose your temper again, when you watch pornography again, when you hurt someone with your words again, when you are plagued with worry again, when you turn elsewhere for comfort and security again and again and again. It's true for when you sin tomorrow. It's true for when you sin in 10 years' time. It's true when you sin small. And it's true when you sin big and badly. I reckon we tend to think of Christ's saving work and our ongoing sin like a race between two cars, with one car always overtaking the other. You know, Christ, he saves me, he forgives me, but oh no, I've sinned again. And the sin car gets in front. But Jesus' ongoing interceding work on our behalf means his car is always in front and leaves the car of our sin for dead. Sin cannot get in front. The reason we know this is true is because Jesus always lives to intercede for us. He never stops. As long as Jesus is present in heaven, interceding for us before God, we are present in heaven. Our salvation is secure because Jesus' priestly intercession is perfect and permanent. So if you sin, lift your eyes to heaven and see Jesus in God's presence on your behalf. Uh, this is the cover of uh, an album of songs about the Ascension, one that uh, Ben sent out uh, during the week. And you'll see in the top right corner there, the feet which have wounds in them. This is Jesus being taken up to heaven. I hadn't thought of that before, that as Jesus goes up into heaven, he goes carrying with him the wounds of his death on the cross. Does anyone recognize this? Yeah, just around the corner there. You can just see it. This is Christ the King. Uh, and we see him with his crown and his glory, you know, the stars there but he has the nail marks in his hands and feet. This is how Jesus ascends into heaven, bearing the wounds of his death on the cross. And so as he stands before God the Father, he stands with arms outstretched, displaying those wounds for you, 
for you. We're going to sing a bit later, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. Secondly, the ascension tells us what we can be doing right now. Because Jesus has ascended into heaven and is our perfect high priest who is interceding for us, we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence. This is a call to prayer, to bring all of your sins and sorrows and struggles to God the Father, confident that he hears you so that you can receive mercy for your sins and find help in your time of need. We have direct access to him because Jesus is in his presence on our behalf. This is why we pray in Jesus' name as our representative. And this is why we can pray with him, our Father. What a glorious and joyous reality. But let's be honest. Which of us in our prayer lives reflects that reality? Uh, That our prayer lives are thriving and on fire. I think so often we don't come to God in prayer in confidence. Our prayer lives are inadequate and deficient. And I, I know my own prayer life leaves a lot to be desired. Why is this? Well, I think often, deep in our hearts, we try to think that we, we have to intercede for ourselves. We think we have to pray in our own name instead of in Jesus' name. We forget that Jesus is able to save completely. And we find within our hearts the temptation to believe that his work is not enough, that we have to contribute to make ourselves acceptable to God. The root of this is self-reliance. Our hearts desire for self-righteousness, to say, I can do it. Striving to live by faith in our own works instead of by faith in Christ. We believe the lie that we need to do more to gain access to God. And we believe the lie that we can do more to gain access to God. You know what our prayer life looks like when this happens? I think there are three possibilities when we try and intercede for ourselves. The first is faithless fear. We come to God not confidently, but timidly. We doubt if he really loves us, if he really forgives all our sins with us, if he actually hears our prayers. The second is dry duty. We come to God mechanically, going through the motions, not out of love for him or in his love for us, but in our own strength, reliant on that. The third is apathetic absence. We don't come to God at all. We don't believe that we actually have access to him. 
that if we do pray, our cries will go unheard. And that really, it's up to us to deal with our problems ourselves. I wonder which one of these you most relate to. But we can't come to God with confidence in ourselves. We can't intercede for ourselves. That's a burden we can't carry. But the good news of the ascension is that we don't have to intercede for ourselves. Notice what the writer of Hebrews says uh, in chapter 4, verse 14. Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven. And then later in chapter 8, verse 2, we do have such a high priest who has sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Jesus, the true priest, is yours. You have him. He's there for you. He's in God's presence right now for you. So let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. How? Through him. He's able to save completely those who come to God through him. Because Jesus is the perfect priest, so you don't need to be. He's the one who has always been faithful in representing you before God, so you don't need to represent yourself. He's the one who has never ceased interceding for you to make sure that your place in God's family in heaven is secure. Dane Ortland says this, One way to think of Christ's intercession then is simply this, Jesus is praying for you right now. Jesus is praying for you right now. I remember when I was young, uh, if I'd wake up early, and go down to the living room, I'd see my mum. Uh, she'd have gotten up even earlier and she was sitting there with her little German devotional book and I knew she was praying. She was praying for me and she was praying for our family and she was praying for so many others. And what a comforting and encouraging thought that was to see that. How much more so to know that Jesus is praying for us. Imagine that as you face temptation, you hear Jesus praying for you in the next room. Imagine as you give in to temptation and sin, you hear Jesus praying for you in the next room. Imagine as your child disobeys you as you struggle with your health, as you deal with that problem at work, as you wrestle with the fact that your life hasn't gone to plan. Imagine Jesus praying for you in the next room. Jesus never forgets to pray for you. He never tires of praying for you. Even when we sin, even when we fail uh, to pray confidently and faithfully, his prayers for us continue. And he's glad to do it. 
Do you know that? He doesn't do it begrudgingly, despite what we might think. He lives to intercede for us. This is what he lives for. This is an outpouring of his heart for us, the warmth and love that flows from within him for us. Uh, Ortland again says this, his interceding for us reflects his heart, the same heart that carried him through life and down into death on behalf of his people is the same heart that now manifests itself in constant pleading with and reminding and prevailing upon his father to always welcome us. I don't know how you feel about your prayer life, but the answer to the weakness of our prayers is the strength of his. We can be confident that God our Father hears our feeble voice on earth because Christ's voice resounds and rings out in heaven. So we can come confidently to the Father with all our sins and struggles and sorrows. But this is only possible because of Jesus' perfect sacrifice on our behalf. The ascended Lord who first descended to the cross. And as he hung there dying for you in your place, Jesus prayed. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And his prayer was met with silence as he bore the judgment for our sin. But he did this so that now with our sin being dealt with, our prayers can be heard by God the Father. You'll never be able to come to God with confidence until you see Jesus, the perfect high priest who sacrificed himself to save us completely. Through the ascension, we see what Jesus is doing right now, that he lives to intercede for us. And through the ascension, we see what we can be empowered to do right now, to come to God in prayer with confidence through him.